Welcome to Meet the Filmmakers at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. Please welcome guest moderator from Empire Magazine, Chris Hewitt. Hello. Thank you all for coming. Good to see so many of you on a Friday afternoon. Clearly you're bunking off work like me. Um, Alfonso Cuaron's Gravity is one of the lead films of the last year, and at its core, of course, is a bewildering, astonishing array of special effects. Before we meet two of the people responsible for those effects, let's remind ourselves of what a triumph the film is by taking a look at the trailer. Explorer, this is Houston. Go ahead, Houston. Mission abort. Repeat. Mission abort. Explorer, this is Kowalski confirming visual contact with debris. Debris is from a BSE sat. Repeat. I have a record. Dr. Stone requesting faster transport. We have to go. We have to go, go, go. Kennedy reports meteorological conditions. Go, go. Houston, Explorer, copy. Explorer, Dr. Stone requesting faster transport to Bay Area. Explorer, do you copy? Explorer, permission to retrieve Dr. Stone. Your go, Kowalski. Amazing stuff. Uh, please welcome the visual effects producer, Richard Graham, and the special effects supervisor in the movie, Neil Corbold. Neil, Richard, So gents, welcome, and congratulations. I mean, Neil, you've just won a BAFTA with an Oscar nomination as well. So uh, congratulations now, first of all. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. I heard that you're, uh, you're heading out to LA, is that right? Heading yeah, next LA week? on uh, Sunday, straight into another awards, the Satellite Awards. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a long day. <laughs> but a good day. But a fantastic it's gonna day, be a good one. hopefully. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's outline briefly for the people who don't know your roles on the film. Neil, let's start with you. Um, my role on Gravity was I was the special effects supervisor, the practical side. So any of the rigs that the actors were in or any like turntables or revolving sets or anything like that. I was, I was in charge of the concept and my team or you know, the design and the build of those rigs. Mm -hmm. And uh, Richard? So I was a visual effects producer um, and I was uh, charged with ensuring that the visual effects happened on time. Uh, <laughs> and unusually for Gravity, we got involved right before the film was shot. So I worked on it for the sort of the full three and a half years that we were involved on it. Yes. And it, the job is basically managing the 400 people that, that contributed to the visual effects. Alfonso Cuaron has said that the, effectively the post-production on this movie had to happen before the production could begin, which is obviously very unusual. Can you talk, uh, talk us through that process, exactly what that entailed and what the, special, what the visual effects in this movie entailed? So uh, what we did was we pre-vised the whole film, which is quite common on, on big visual effects films now, but we pre-vised it to... Uh, a much higher level of detail than 
than most previs is done because the shots were so long and uh, you, we had to work out each section of photography that we could shoot because obviously we didn't shoot 12 minute shots. Um, so that process had to be done in a great deal of detail. Um, we then also had to work out all of the lighting. So we animated the whole film and then we rendered uh, a, a, an animation version of the film. Um, and I think when the Blu-ray comes out, some of that behind the scenes material will be, be shown. Uh, once the lighting was done, we worked out what the robot camera would have to do. So we then kind of animated the robot camera to do the right uh, camera move for the photography. And then, then we went to shoot it. So that was the process before uh, before we started shooting. So make the film once in animation, make it again in lighting, mm. and then finally make another version that is all the robot moves. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we had the previs, but then we took it a step further with the technical previs. Okay. So basically, it was like a, like a drawing board layout, so you'd have a front elevation plan and a side elevation of, of the animation going through mm. with the camera, with our rigs, um, and it was literally every single frame had to be worked out because you would run the animation and you'd get to a certain point and you'd find the, the camera couldn't quite get to that right position. So then we had to make the rig so that that turned and tilted so okay. we could get the head in the right place. Oh, that's interesting. Because um, I, I believe that when Alfonso came up with this idea, he thought it was going to be quite easy to make this film. And then he realised very, very quickly that the, the effects technology wasn't quite there. And you effectively had to invent it, didn't you? I mean, is that... Yeah, I mean, first the, our first meetings was in a little cafe in Notting Hill. And uh, he said to me, I want to do it all practical. I want to build these massive sets, 60 foot high, on the James Bond stage, and I want to spin it all round, and I want the actors coming down on wires and going through the corridors, and, and it'll be great. And you thought? And I said, great, fine, <laughs> no problem at all. Went away, scratching my head, phoned up Tim and said, what the hell are we getting ourselves in for? This is uh, Tim Weber. Tim Weber, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then the second meeting, you know, Tim was there and we was all there. And, and it, 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 was very, uh, it became very apparent very soon that we couldn't do it all practically. You know, we, we, it, CG was the way to go, but with, you know, a big practical element in there to, to, to help it along. And uh, that big practical element, not only is it the rigs you're talking about, but this uh, light box as well. I don't know, Richard, uh, if you can explain what the light box is that so, was created for this movie. So uh, we tried out some, some kind of standard wire rigs to begin with, but the trouble with those is people can only really kind of rotate in one or maybe two axes. And a lot of the animation we'd done had the characters tumbling in all three axes. So Tim Weber's solution to that was, okay, what if we don't move the actor, but move the light around them, to simulate them tumbling in three axes. So we then looked at ways of very quickly moving lights, like putting them on the end of robots and spinning them around the actors. Got to the point where we thought, maybe that'll work for some shots, but then on others, the ro you'd have to have two robots, one for the earth and one for the sunlight, okay. and those robots would crash into each other. So then I think it was Chivo, the cinematographer, uh -huh. um, was at a concert and he saw the, this light moving across the crowd and had the idea to try LED panels. And so he sort of proposed the idea of using LEDs and, and Tim and Neil worked out how best to put them around the actor and have a rig in the center that could rotate the actor within that sphere of light around them. Because one previous way to, to uh, uh, I guess, achieve the effect of space or anti or zero gravity in previous years has been to take the Fomet Comet, uh, which is where you, I believe you fly up in space and then you can shoot zero grav for a few, for a few minutes. Uh, that wasn't a, 
that wasn't possible in this movie because the um, they 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 did the they went out there and did the tests. Uh-huh. They they I think they did like fifty parabolic curve drops, um, and I think it made them feel very sick and decided <laughs> that it probably wasn't the best idea. The other thing as well is that they couldn't get the length of shot either. You know, it was it's such a short period. You know, by the time you get everything ready, the shot's over, especially with Alfonso, mm-hmm. and he's very long takes. So. Again, that, that was crossed off the lift list quite early on. Okay, so we, we actually have a clip now from the film which I think illustrates the light box, which was known as Sandy's Cube, ultimately, I believe. Is this Sandy's true? Sandy's Cage. I Sandy's, think cage. Sandy's Cage. Sandy's Cage, Sandy's yeah. cage yes. Uh, in action, this is a scene of uh, Dr. Ryan Stone just after things go horribly wrong. Let's take a look at the clip. Indeed. Um, so, guys, I don't know if you can talk us through that shot exactly. What's real in that shot? J- just her face. Just her face. Not even the inside of the helmet behind her <laughs> head is real. The bubble, the the, gl- the dome over the top isn't real, and none of the breath on the glass is real either. Wow. Okay. And can you talk about the rig that you built then that allowed Sandra Bullock to be spun around? Like well, that? That, there was a mixture of our rig and, a ca- and the camera the, moving. The robot camera, yeah. yeah. So we had like a um, uh, Tilt Plus, which was basically this like cone-shaped metal work which could spin, spin her and tilt her on, on many axes, on three, three axes. So and the robot camera was called, I believe? Well, it, was, it was the Kuka. It's okay. It's the robots they use for car manufacturing, which was adapted and an interface uh, design and built um, to uh, basically... So the, the camera could talk. Uh, sorry, the robot could talk to our rig, and they all run together in sync. Um, I also think I read somewhere that uh, the camera could go up to twenty miles an hour. Yes, it's quite frightening, yeah. actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we didn't really try and do that too many times. Cause <laughs> it, I mean, it, it did what it said on the tin, but it just—it's just quite scary when that comes flying at you and stops an inch from your eyeball. An inch. Okay, and that's yes, it could, yeah. that's real. That's real, Sandra Bullock. It's it's flying towards twenty miles an hour. Yes. And uh, what would have happened had it not stopped? Um, I would rather not uh, go <laughs> into that. Really. It doesn't bear thinking about. We need another Sandra Bullock quickly. <laughs> and, uh, and and Richard, can you talk about I guess the challenges of this? At what point did you realise and Alfonso realised that this was going to have to be done this way? That you could only really use Sandra's face. 
Um, it was really Tim Webber advocating a full, almost full CG solution mm -hmm. um, and sort of very boldly saying, I think this is the best way to get the camera and the actors into the configurations that you need to make this film. You know, you could have compromised the shots and done them in a different way, cut them, gone up in a vomit comet and had shorter shots. But, you know, doing it with as much CG and with the new rigs that were, that were developed was really the only way to do it. And how did the actors take to that? Because uh, I imagine that was quite stringent for them, that he had to basically maintain the same movements again and again, take, by, take after take. Is that, is that true? That is true, yeah. And they, they were both um, incredibly good at it. Sandra has a dancing background, so she was very good at um, hitting specific marks. Like in that clip that you saw there, there's actually three separate pieces of photography all blended together. And we just blend the face seamlessly. We hide in the shadows a little bit. But she was very, very good at getting into uh, a pose on one day, cut the camera, come back maybe a couple of days later, get back into that same pose again and start, start the move again. She, she, she was very good in our, in our rigs, you know, especially the 12-wire rig. Um, you know, we did uh, many months of rehearsals with the stunt lady, and, and she was good. But when Sandra got in it, she really brought it alive. You know, she, she, it's, it's like any mechanical rig. You get certain positions where it sort of doesn't quite look right. Mm -hmm. But with her movement and everything, it, it, it just came together really smoothly. What is a 12-wire rig? A 12-wire rig is something we... we came up with um, normally you hang somebody from the, the from the hips and and it's quite a lot of strain on them you know because they've got to try and keep a sort of a, a level sort of body so I came up with this idea that we'd hang her from the the shoulders and, and both hips with with 12 wires so it's four wires from each uh, triangulating up to a, um, a series of winches above her mm -hmm. so we could basically puppeteer her but with, with the triangulation it's so solid you know, so we had puppeteers that that did the Warhorse uh, up in London here came right. in. Really? Yeah. Well, because we can build the rig, we we tried to operate it ourselves, but we we wasn't too good at it. You okay. know, we're great at building the technology, <laughs> but sometimes we can't actually work it. <laughs> Do you ever get in the rigs you build for actors? Have you ever tried the harnesses and the twelve wires yourself? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, the, yeah. That's the early stages. We yeah. we we test it all ourselves to make sure that it's sort of safe and. Uh, uh, and that it does what, it, what it's supposed to do. Okay, because a lot of actors, uh, not so much recently, but a lot of actors complain of, of pain in the uh, harness area, perhaps? Is that, is that yeah, something and, you can and, you know, we, we take that into account. You know, we, we get them in it as soon as possible, you know, um, and we sort of sort those problems out. And, and that's where with Sandra, you know, we had a, you know, a good six weeks before we started filming. So we could iron out all those little wrinkles. Um, you tend to get that when the actor comes in and says, oh, I don't need that, just, just uh, it'll be fine. And then as soon as they get in the rig, they, they complain a bit. Okay, well, we actually have, a, I think, a glimpse of the 12-hour rig in action now, because it's another little brief clip. This is a, a behind-the-scenes clip that might open some eyes. Let's, let's take a look. Whether it was the cage or whatever mm. rigging system they had, you just embraced the pain, because these were all unique creations of brilliant people who had to think of something that doesn't exist in order to make a movie Alfonso was told couldn't be done. Explore, do you copy? Explore, permission to retrieve Dr. Stone. The technology was never the motivation for making the film. We wanted to tell a story, and it was about developing the technology that was the only way that this story could be told. This film has raised the bar for the world of visual effects and CG and animation. Break, you have to break! Cam, we're gonna hit hard! What do I do? Grab a hole! Ah, ah, Grab anything! Ah, ah, ah. 
Scott. We need another. We need another. Can you do another one? Let's do that. This production was very physically demanding. The challenge was how to make that scene free and spontaneous. And that's a testament of the amazing actors that Sandra and George are. This, you just lay yourself in the hands of the, the smartest guys in the room. Alfonso has given us beautiful, elegant filmmaking. Simple on the surface. The complexity challenged everybody, but none of that is visible. It's great. Slight spoiler at the end there. I don't know if you noticed that. Has everyone seen Gravity? I hope you have. Okay, so um, back with the smartest guys in the room now. So um, there was an amazing moment in that little, that little clip there where uh, someone was hitting Sandra Bullock with a broom. Can you talk us through what, what exactly was going on there? It was, it was just to uh, create an, a, a believable impact okay. uh, when she's supposed to be hitting the wall. So uh, we found that that was sort of the best way to do it. And, and Sandra was up for it, so... <laughs> And that was those puppeteers from Warhorse that were kind of, they were, okay. that was their, one of their jobs. But not too harsh, I'm guessing. Okay. Did, did, did Alfonso insist on that as well? Because I imagine he insisted on a lot of realism and a lot, and in a sense, he, I, I read one quote where he said he wanted this to feel like a, a documentary about space that had slightly gone wrong. So did he insist upon that sort of verisimilitude? Yeah, I mean, Alfonso, is, he's a perfectionist, you know, and, you know, he, he, he'll want to get that um, performance any way he can within reason anyway can safely and so it's little things like that that just make the shot you know mm -hmm. and it was just knocking her knocking her head back in that scene mm -hmm. that which sort of sold the shot absolutely so how long did it take this this was shot in two sections wasn't it uh, richard i don't know if you can talk about that um so yeah no shot in one section okay um but we did about nearly a year before we shot which was the the many at the animation version and the, the robot working out what the robots were going to do and we shot for it's about six months yeah. and then post-production was uh, 18 or 20 months for us so okay. all in all I think um, getting on for three years we, and we for did, Alfonso longer than that yeah we did we did we did have some additional photography um, probably about eight months after uh, okay. but that was more of a dialogue change and it was just like a week of like um, uh, of uh, additional stuff. Hopefully, you hadn't dismantled all the rigs or the light box. No, wasn't we, we we had okay. we had dismantled <laughs> everything and most of it was in the in the bin. But uh, okay. we managed to scramble enough together to uh, <laughs> to to get what they needed. Was there ever a moment for both of you working on this movie? And I guess this happened probably earlier in the process when you thought there's something on this we can't quite get right. There's something we can't quite achieve. Uh, yeah, pre basically every day, really, <laughs> that, especially especially at the beginning. Yeah, you know, it was just, uh, and to be honest, when we first started shooting, there was still a lot of stuff that wasn't worked out. You know, that, that sort of evolved as 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 we went along. Such as? Well, a lot of the stuff in the in the light box, because originally, it, the light box was just the tilt plus rig inside, and then we ended up putting sets in there to get other shots, uh, wire rigs in there. So you know, it just evolved as we went along. And Richard. Uh, sorry, what was the question? Anything that was uh, difficult, anything you, anything you thought that was impossible, even deep into production? Um, no, or is nothing impossible for you guys? We, we always had quiet faith that we'd get through it just by breaking it down into, into small pieces, solve each problem, and then put them all back together into the whole, really. 
are you were you conscious at the time as you came up with all this technology, the light box, which Time magazine voted one of the 25 greatest inventions of 2013, by the way. The light box, the rigs, that future filmmakers would be taking this technology and and using it for other purposes. Is that something that that dawned on you, or you thought of as you were as you were doing it? Not not really, because you're sort of in the moment. You know, you're you're designing and uh, uh, stuff for that movie. Um, w once we sort of finished and we saw saw the result, uh, then then you can see it. I mean, I we've had a lot of um, inquiries about the twelve wire rig. You know, um, you know, even re uh, recently as this week, you know, of uh, using it for different applications. So uh, it's good. And what about the uh, the light box, Richard? Uh, um, yes, there were a couple of films have thought about building light boxes, talking about building them even bigger so that you can have several people in them at once and almost have it as a replacement for filming people on a green screen. Okay. That's interesting because you can run the uh, there's, there's LED lights and you can run yeah. different things on the, on the yeah, walls. Yeah, so you could have a, an, sort of an evolving lighting environment around them rather than, I don't know, having to do flames and things like that. Like yeah. We did simple things. Like in the clip you saw there where she smashes through the solar panels, we just played some video of uh, flames uh, on, the, on the light box and that provided the, the, in, you know, the, the flickering light that, mm -hmm. that goes across her face. And so only one person could get into the light box at, at, one, at one time? I think we did one setup where the two of them were together, yeah, okay. where they're sort of doing the ballet around each other, but okay. most of the time it was just the one. And then it's testament to them that sometimes they, we would film them separately in the light box, but in, in the film they're together, and they would have to, you know, convince the audience that they weren't acting to nothing, which they were really good at. Okay. <laughs> and the, and the, with the light box as well, it, it, we designed it in such a way where you could pull panels out and pull push panels in. You know, it just take one section out or take the whole wall out or the whole side moves in. It, wow. You know, Chivo wanted as much control as possible over the light. Yeah. So you know, and and, and the maximum amount of light uh, on on the artist as well. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, in the future, I think, you know, LED technology is just getting better and better. So, you know, you almost be able to, ha I think, you know, in years to come, you almost be able to have a photorealistic backing in there. Fantastic. Uh, we have one more clip from the film, then we'll take questions from you guys. Uh, and I think, uh, Richard, you set this one up quite nicely. This is uh, Ryan Stone and Matt Kowalski ballet dancing with each other in space. Let's take a look at the clip. Steady. Aim. Fire. Empty. Hit hard, grab a hold of anything you can. Intense stuff. Still exhausting. 
So again, just to reiterate, because it blows my mind every time, just to face. Okay, that's weird. Um, okay, so let's take some questions now for uh, Richard Neal. Yes, please, right here in the front row. For young people with a practical kind of mind that enjoy building things, um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of encouragement. But when you see stuff like this, you go that it, there, there's a place for it to go. Do you guys have any sort of advice for young people who want to break into something like this? And, and maybe what's your story? How did you guys begin? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a big place for practical stuff, practical effects. I mean, I have to say 25 years ago, they told me, there was a, um, a visual effects supervisor that told me that uh, within five years, practical effects would be non-existent and it wouldn't be a job to get into. So I'm quite happy to say after all this time, it's still very much a major part of filmmaking. Um, and depending on the director as well, um, you know, it, it can create a massive part of a movie, you know, like in The Dark Knight and that sort of stuff. Pra massive practical effects. Um, young, young people coming through, you know, I would suggest to them is, you know, go to uni, get a degree in uh, engineering or something like that. Because um, we're always looking out for the next talent coming through. Um, you know, we, we want people that are, that are enthusiastic, um, that are hardworking, and, and they're just dedicated to, to w what we do. And uh, yeah, it, it is a big part to play um, for practical effects. And uh, Richard, how did you get your start? Uh, yeah, I'd just reiterate what Neil said. I actually started, uh, my, I have a degree in engineering, and um, uh, the basis that that gave me in just general problem solving was, has been invaluable over my career. So I can't, I can't recommend that more highly as a good place to start. And uh, Neil, I actually believe you got your start, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were taken on a tour of the set of Superman the Movie. Is this true yeah, by your yes. uncle? Yeah, my uncle was the special effects supervisor on Superman the movie. Mm. And uh, I bugged him for weeks to take me in and to let me have a look. And uh, the, the first set I saw was the Forces of Solitude, which was built in the James Bond stage at Pinewood. And uh, I, I walked into the, the stage and it was all mist and ice and everything. And then I saw Christopher Reeves fly down the length of the Bond <laughs> stage on wires. And I, from that point on, I knew this is what I wanted to Wants you to do. Oh man, amazing. Uh, yes, please, sir. Thank you. My neurons, those that remain, have gone into overdrive, having learned that you're just working on the face and reconstructing everything else around that. And the question that, that then pops into my head is how long before certain scenes we actually dispense with the actor altogether because we've already taken a 3D representation of their face? and various expressions and we can just completely, or not, not we, you, might be able to completely overlay then that onto a dummy. So, you know, you could have actors doing things that normally you wouldn't want to because they're too dangerous or, you know, it would just be physically impossible for them, but everything is CGI. So we already did that in the film. There are, there are bits where they're so far away and their heads are sort of a one-tenth of the screen height where we, we're comfortable um, doing a fully CG face. It's still driven by a performance from the actor. We had this system called um, MOVA, which is uh, an array of 42 black and white cameras and five color cameras. The 42 black and white cameras um, capture per frame geometry, so it's like a, a depth scan of, of the face. The five cameras, five uh, color cameras capture the textures, and, and that was then used to put a head into a helmet in a, in a shot that was further away, so it's kind of already done but you know we're not yet brave enough to bring it 
uh, right close to camera. Although it, you know, it was used for Benjamin Button, um, and you know, not not throughout a whole film, but it can already be done to a certain degree. I also think that gravity works because of that practical element of her face, and that's why I think it looks so good. I really do, and I don't think it it, it will never take over. You know, you they like. You, you can produce CG faces, but I, I haven't seen one that's that close up, which is that convincing. So, I th you know, and the performance as well. You'd never get a performance out of a CG complete character that you would out of, like, you know, like Sandra and George gave in this. Absolutely. Uh, yes, please. I think there's a gentleman right here at the front. Uh, you won an uh, Oscar for Gladiator. In that film, Ollie Reed died during the film, and you had to create another one. <laughs> Can you tell us about that one? Well, it was still his face. They, they took certain scenes and they just changed it around a bit. So it's, it, and it was more of a face replacement on, on another actor. Um, and they were, they were clever with it because the, the, the scenes that he had to shoot remaining were a lot more. And then they just really basically simplified his part in it. Uh, and, and, and the story still made sense. So... Um, it was his face, but and there was a lot of like you see the back of his head and, and him walking away, which was another actor. Uh, any more questions for Richard and O'Neill? Yes, please, right over here. Thank you. Hi. Uh, first of all, uh, congratulations on your award wins and nominations. Um, I'm a film student, so this is a kind of a bit of an academic question, but I've been reading a few articles on the interwebs and whatnot that films like Gravity perhaps raise the question of whether we should rethink like terminology and awards categories now. For example, should we have separate cinematography awards for films like Gravity and 35mm films? Uh, should, we, should a film like Gravity have separate awards for VFX and cinematography when uh, isn't the cinematography entirely a visual effect? Um, I'm not having, I don't have an opinion either way. I just think, do you think this film raises interesting questions like that about whether we should rethink the way we talk about cinema? Well, well, we do, we, we do have a, um, a special category for visual effects. Visual Effects Society have their own awards. So, and, and, they, and that is sort of broken down into probably 26 different awards for animated character, virtual um, uh, cinematography. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it goes on and on, doesn't it? The different. So, yeah. so the, in, in a way, there are different award categories. I think with the Oscars, if you or the BAFTAs, if you start breaking it down too much, you'll have a show that would start at sort of one o'clock in the afternoon and go on till probably one o'clock in the afternoon the next day. Yeah, I think in actually a lot of the press around this film, the, the filmmakers have been very clear in um, stating that it's actually a, a collaboration between cinematography and visual effects. Um, Chivo Lebeski, the, the DP, actually worked with the visual effects artists at their desks to light the shots. So it's not as though he was entirely divorced from the process completely the opposite he was heavily involved in it and you know he had the same we actually gave him the same creative tools that he's used to having on set so we, we had a system of lighting where he said I, I, you know I want such and such a light on their face and we could bring in an approximation of that in CG and it would respond in a way that that he'd be used to seeing and um, and really it was it was his creativity that we were facilitating just with tools that were digital not practical yeah, and he, he, he sort of played God for a bit because he said uh, he, he loved it because he could move the sun 20 million miles to the right and, and up a bit. <laughs> because that was one of uh, Alfonso's stipulations, wasn't it? That the, the camera, there was no up, there was no down, there was no left, there was no right. 
That must have been, was that in, either incredibly freeing from your point of view or very tricky? Um, it was okay because we had the previs, you know, we sort of knew what we were doing and, you know, it's the, it's the camera and the animation that makes, you know, that, that gives you that sort of effect. It was very difficult in previs because you're used to speaking at that point, everyone was thinking, okay, well, this is just a normal movie, mm. up is up, down is down. And once, uh, once we've kind of hit that, we, it became very difficult. Like we tried to do um, some shots using motion capture cameras. Okay. And um, as soon as you hold it and you're standing on the floor, it just it looks like the camera of someone standing on the floor. So we had to come up with ways of sort of suspending our motion capture camera on elastic and flying it around the room just to provide some of that kind of zero-G-ness yeah. to it. Absolutely. Amazing. Uh, any more questions for Richard and Neil? Yes, please. Over here. Thank you. Um, aside from the light box and the 12-wire rig, what other new technologies did you have to develop to make the film? Uh, robots, I think. Um, they'd been used in a small amount um, on, on some films. Uh, and motion control cameras are really nothing new, but I think it's the first time that, um, that, that car plant robots have been used as heavily. And, um, and actually integrating all those things together. As, as Neil said, the robot could speak to the rig so that they were always in the right position on every frame. And, uh, and then they actually spoke to the lighting as well, so that you know, every time we went to that particular frame, the light, lighting was always in the same position. Now what's it like at the moment in the, inside the, the effects industry? Do you guys share technology with other uh, companies, you know, or, or is it very much keep yourself to yourself and, and butt out ILM? No, there's lots of academic papers that um, everyone is quite, uh, quite pleased to write and share, and share their ideas. Um, you know, everyone has a little bit of secret sauce, but also that we're all, we're all actually, we're all trying to develop new things, and in many cases, we're all trying to develop the same thing just with different groups of people working together. Okay. And then there are times when we work on films where we're very collaborative with other other companies. They they might create one character, we might create another, and then we'll swap them over and use them both in our shots. It's the it's the ninety percent rule. <laughs> you, you tell them 90% of it, but don't give them the 10%. <laughs> yeah. And Neil, I wanted to talk about, about you as well, because your brother Chris is in the same uh, industry, the same business, the same field, in fact. Um, yes, yeah, he's uh, my direct competition. Yes, how competitive <laughs> are you? Um, we're all right, actually. No, we're, we're, it's very rarely we get offered the same movie, okay. so, uh, so that's good. Um, but Chris, is, you know, he's done a lot of the Bonds and the Batmans over the last few years. And, uh, and then I get all the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever thought about joining forces to make one giant corbold who just dominates the industry? No, I, don't, I, don't, I think our egos are too big. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, no, we, we, we've got our own way of doing things, so uh, um, it's, it's just good to remain brotherly love. What's Christmas like? Uh, Christmas is quite good, yeah, it's quite entertaining. <laughs> Do you have massive rigs delivering turkey to the table? Or is yeah, it I had just this 12-wire rig that brought the turkey <laughs> to the table and just sort of... All in one bite. Uh, any more questions for the guys? I wanted to ask about the movements of the body in space. Um, how realistic are they? I mean, how close to reality? Because I think you have to study, um, you know, the actual uh, whatever. Yeah, we, I mean, we studied lots and lots of video footage from uh, the space station and stuff like that. Um, and I think if it convinced the audience, then it's good. You know, obviously it's not 100%, you know, but uh, I think it's close enough where um, the audience got it. Because, again, I, I guess a feeling of weightlessness was 
was tricky to achieve in terms it, of the rigs. It, it was because you know in uh, zero g in the past you can see them straining you know and and the body the the, the angle of the body doesn't look quite right so you know and that's really why we came up with a 12 wire rig to give her as much support and flexibility uh, as we can uh, as, as we could um, and and for her to not strain too much uh, and I think you know and I think we we achieved that uh, yes, please. It was a gentleman here. Thank you. Um, when you've got a team of 400 people working on a film like this, and as you said, you're inventing technology as you go along, how do you how do you stick to budget? Question. You work out at the beginning that you need those 400 people for three years, and then that sort of defines your budget. Interesting. And uh, Neil. Uh, well, I didn't quite have 400, I have to say. <laughs> I, I, I had more like 16 people in my, okay. in my department for gravity o over, that, uh, over that period. So um, that was a few, few times we had, had to go back to the producers and say, can we just have a little bit more money just to finish this rig off? And uh, mm -hmm. it worked out. What about things like unexpected wrinkles? You said your budget at the beginning of the three-year process, but what if something comes up during that that you didn't quite foresee or it might cost more money than you anticipated? How do you deal with that? Uh, well, I think, I don't, know, I don't want to speak for the studio, but I think that they understand that things do change as a film gets made. And they obviously have plans and contingencies in place to deal with that so that when we come to them and say, look, genuinely, this is uh, more work, um, you know, a, a decision is made, shall we make this change or, or shall we not? You know, like Neil mentioned, we had to go back about eight months later and yeah. uh, just have another week of shooting to, to update some, some scenes to improve them. Mm -hmm. You know, those things are not in the plan at the outset, but there is something set aside for those kind of things that happen. Okay. Uh, any last questions? Yes, there's two more here, right in the uh, front row, and then there's a guy in the second row. Um, without spoiling the end for anyone, um, but when Sandra does return to our planet, uh, was that all CGI or was How's that, that not a spoiler? <laughs> <laughs> you showed it as well. That's true, that's true, fair enough. Um, was it all CGI or was it shot in Iceland or something like that? No, that was shot uh, at Lake Powell in Utah in, uh, in the States. Um, uh, I think the water there is quite nice and warm, so it was nice for Sandra to spend a couple of days in, in there rather than uh, in somewhere freezing like Iceland. And the hot pools in Iceland we looked at, but they're really sulfurous and horrible, so she didn't want to spend too much time, and nobody would want to spend too much time in one of those. Um, once we got the photography back, it was very much like Utah. It was very brown and orange, so all of the greenery was created in CG, but you know, she was really stood in that place, and then we just added lots of plants and extra you know, greenery on the hillsides and things like that. Yeah, when, when the, the um, shuttle came down and hit the, the capsule when it hit the water, that was in stains. <laughs> um, in a reservoir <laughs> and that was a, a third scale miniature that, that came down and uh, on a big crane rig with a parachute attached to it and then uh, when it got about a metre above the uh, the water we um, hit these air jets that basically disturbed the water and then uh, Tim and his team just added some stuff wow. to that as so well that was, that was a live practical effect then. that was a live practical effect yeah so you got stains. Sandra I got, got stains, got and then they got America. <laughs> so. When she lands, she's in stains, and when she comes back up un from under the surface, it's in Colorado. Uh, no, that's movie magic. Uh, <laughs> yes, please, sir. Thank you. Hey, guys. Congrats. Um, 
so just two things like first of all how much of that is actually generated like uh, generated objects so something like earth for instance i'm assuming you don't actually generate the entirety of a side of earth for every shot so is that like from a background plate and a kind of projection mapping um and just my second thing is there's like no green screen in that which i'm surprised by it's all white objects or blue screen is there a specific reason for that uh, yeah, okay, first question, Earth, no, it is a, uh, a CG asset that, um, because you could do map paintings all the way through, but that would be a lot of map painting, and so we, we made a fully CG asset. It's effectively the third character in the film, and we simulated light scattering through the atmosphere, and then the artistry was in getting the right cloud formations and making sure that the, the color of the Earth uh, behind and the way the light was bouncing off the sea and everything was, was correct, so no, that's all... That's all a, simu that's all a, a simulation. Um, the lack of green screen was uh, because for the scenes when they're in the space helmet, there's actually a hard line around them which we could use uh, to, to rotoscope them out. So uh, apart from in, I think, two plates, everything in the film was rotoscoped. And uh, we couldn't really use green screen for any of the interior shots because when a light bounces off a green screen, it sort of spills a green light onto the onto the performer, and we didn't want that, so, so we wanted to spill the right color of light on. So you know, when Neil said w we could move the walls of the light box in, we did exactly that. We, we moved the walls of the light box in, and we played a render of what the interior of the space station would look like projected onto a cube around her, so that you know, as the doors go past her, those are actually, that's actually a render of the door going past her. And Cheever, the, the, the cinematographer, he had added um, filters and stuff to that as well, just to you know, so uh, just to get the colour right. Amazing. Uh, we've got time for two last questions. Hi, um, I was just wondering what was the most uh, extravagant set that you built for the film out of all of the rigs, sort of the, the one that stands out as the most complex? The most extravagant set was probably the capsule she's in because that's the only one that's um, photo real finished. Everything else was just plywood and um, and kind of rough shapes because it would be replaced with CG later. In terms of the most extravagant sets we built in CG, then definitely the interior of the, of the space station. Um, you know, that was, that was definitely the, the biggest, heaviest CG asset in, in the movie. And Neil, what's, the, what's the, the thing that makes you proudest about this film? The, 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 uh... um, from our side, I think it, it was the 12-wire the rig, because you know, that had never been done on a human before. Yeah, they've, um, we've done it with models, like model movers with nine wires, but to put um, a human in, a, in one of those rigs, that, that was sort of a first. And obviously, the, you know, building the light box was, uh, you know, being part of that was, was uh, very good. Fantastic. Uh, one last question, if, we can, if anyone has a... Oh, yes, a couple of hands up here. Yeah, apart, apart from this movie, w what's the, um, your um, favourite film you've, you've worked on in terms of special effects? That's, that's a tricky one. I think for me, because I like blowing things up, it would probably be um, Saving Private Ryan. That was uh, probably one of the most enjoyable ones for me because it was just eight weeks of blowing things up. <laughs> we could probably do 45 minutes on the beach scene alone, I imagine. Uh, and Richard, what about you? Um, after three and a half years working on Gravity, I was quite pleased to jump onto Iron Man 3 because it only took us six months. <laughs> Oh, what about now? What are you guys working on now, Richard? Um, I've, uh, I'm not working on... Actually, the, film I last, the last film I worked on is Edge of Tomorrow, the new Tom okay. Cruise film. Okay. And Neil? Um, I've got Hercules uh, coming out and also the Book of Exodus with Ridley Scott. 
Fantastic. Fantastic indeed. And, and thanks, guys. Thank you all. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for your questions. Thank you thanks very much. Thanks. Neil Thank Corbel, Richard Graham. Thank you very much.